dance before the Lord. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Behukotai, By My Regulations. The address is Vaikra, Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 3, through chapter 27, verse 34. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher, Ariel Ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on May 14th of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech olam asher b'achar banu mikol ha'amim v'natan lanu et Torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord giver of the Torah. Amen. We finally come to the last portion of the book of Leviticus, of Vaikra, known as Parashat Bahukotai. Um, it's a kind of a meaty word for those of you who aren't familiar with Hebrew. Bahukotai. Um, it's broken down into the preposition, the, bit, the letter bet there. Ba means by or within or in. And then the root word is chok, uh, which is the, the middle part of the word. And the uh, the root word from which your Torah portion is taken means statute, or ordinance, or limit, or something prescribed, and that's according to the BDB, the Brown Driver and Briggs um, Jesenius Lexicon on the word chok. And then um, the uh, last few letters, the suffix, um, the otai that you're hearing there, uh, connotes ownership uh, to the one who's speaking it. Uh, my chok, by my chok, or by chok mine. And in this case, it's God speaking, so it's by my regulations. Let me just turn to the Pasuk in the portion here, Leviticus. Uh, let's see. Um, the English says, if you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments. The Hebrew says, Im et mitzvotai tishmoru Um if you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments. Now the word chok, from which I defined or which I pointed out means uh, statute or ordinance or limit or something prescribed, should not conf uh, be confused with its counterpart, Torah. 
Um, and, and actually, it's not a counterpart, but it's a different word, and sometimes it can convey a different meaning. Torah is sometimes translated along these same lines when we say, you know, what is a, what is a law? What is a, what is a Torah? Well, a Torah, and in, in our description, in our English definitions, we often pull together groups of words that have similarities. What is a law? Well, a law is a statute. A law is an ordinance, something prescribed. Um, and, and so that is the art of defining things. Someone once told me it's not so much that words have meaning, it's really the other way around. Meanings get assigned a group of words. And so um, I understand the word chok. Uh, it looks like it's spelled choke, C-H-O-K-E, but really it's chok. Um, I understand the word chok to convey something a bit, bit more wooden, uh, like an edict when compared to Torah, which is usually translated as teaching. There is a, a human aspect to the Torah versus the Chok can sometimes just be maybe the, the, um, the edict, something on paper, something without personality. Um, again, if you look at the, the first Pasuk, it says, If you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments. And uh, this is the translation from the JPS. And so they're translating Chok there as laws, but, the, we, but we know that the Hebrew says, Im if within my regulations tell who you walk literally um, the, the the root word is lech in there to go um, telechu I'm sorry I, keep, I, I didn't see the uh, tzere there below the lamed im bochukotai telechu ve'et mitzvotai and then um, that's that one two three four the fifth word in the Hebrew um, after the word ve'et mitzvotai is commandments um, mitzvot is the root word in the suffix again, the, the diphthong sound ai, uh, just as in bohukotai, uh, also in mitzvot, following that uh, connotes ownership. And then tishmuru um, is if you guard, um, or we translate it faithfully, faithfully observe, but shamar um, means to guard. Tishmuru is a, is a plural form of that. And then va'i, I'm sorry, va'isitem, uh, asa means to do. Uh, and then again, it's um, pluralized, pluralized uh, or it's the plural form with the uh, the the um, the em on the end, va'asitem, and then odam. So the whole reason in bringing out some of the Hebrew nuggets there is to just to get us to know that law, statute, commandment, ordinance, um, they convey meanings, and the meanings are generally aside one word descriptors, you know, law, commandment, statute. And there's a little bit of um, cross-meaning between the two. It's not as a hard and fast um, uh, differences. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, we should not be confused when we see that sometimes it's translated as law and other times it's ordinance or commandment or things like that. Um, but because this commentary, this week's commentary's teachings are so pertinent to world Jewry, uh, both past and present, I'm going to be making many more rabbinic quotes than I normally do. Now, it's funny, when I originally wrote this commentary... Um, which was not back in 2006. I originally wrote it probably even 10 years ago and just have been um, adding to it and, and uh, subtracting from it where, where, where things didn't need to be there and, and just kind of uh, you know reshaping it and correcting it and stuff like that. I didn't have as many Talmudic quotes originally because I didn't own any copies of the Talmud and so I was relying on, on what little resources I had. And this one ended up having more Talmudic quotes than anything else at the time and yet now, I surely have other commentaries that have more Talmud. For instance, my, parasha, my commentary at the Parasha Achrei Mot, uh, After the Death, that we, that we read probably about three or four weeks ago, 
that has many more Talmudic quotes than this one, and yet I have in here where it says I'll make more comment, more rabbinic quotes, so I suppose I need to update that part. Um, sometimes rabbinic quotes uh, are helpful to both Jews and Gentiles. Other times they're only helpful to Jews because many Gentiles, that is to say Christians within the um, Hebraic movement, um, I'm not talking about Christians who have not joined the Hebraic movement yet, but rather the by virtue of you listening to my podcast, I'm assuming that you're of the Hebraic movement, meaning you're interested in things related to Torah. Uh, sometimes the Talmudic quotes or the rabbinic quotes or references can be a bit daunting uh, because of your unfamiliarity with them. Um, and so I ask my non-Jewish audience to bear with me, as um, when I originally wrote the commentaries, I was writing them to a group of students within a, just a small Bible study. But I, but I also went through a phase or a season where Hashem had me minister to um, many Jewish people, uh, particularly those outside of my own community um, via internet. I just was dialoguing back and forth with a lot of Jewish people, some in the land, some outside the land, and thus um, the rabbinic quotes became added in an effort to reach out to them and to try and, how shall I say, speak their language. Um, I wasn't raised in a Jewish home myself. Uh, I feel kind of like Moshe, where I was raised in Egypt and then only picked up my calling after I wandered out into the desert. I kind of feel that way. But nevertheless, I, I do identify with the rabbinic um, uh, resources in which I make use of uh, because I am Jewish and because um, I, I feel an affinity with my own Jewish people. So I'm going to ask my non-Jewish audience to bear with me as I reach out to my fellow Yehudim, my fellow Jews, through the instructions of the Chazal, which the word Chazal there means the sages of blessed memory. Um, uh, Chachmim, uh, what is it? Chachmim, Zikronim, uh, um, l- uh, what is it? Uh, le Shalom or something. I have to look up the exact Hebrew quote. It's a, it's an acronym from the, from the words Ch, Z, and L. Okay. Um, something else I want to say real quickly, uh, just before we get started about my podcasts. Um, more or less throughout the book of Leviticus, I, I produced the podcasts and made them the audio portions available near the end of the week going into the Sabbath, probably near Thursday or uh, in some cases I didn't even mail them out until Friday. And so for some of you this was uh, great because um, it gave you um, a better way to understand when the Sabbath, or I'm sorry, yes, when the Sabbath uh, started, when the portions were utilized. And if you think about it, in days gone by before the advent of, of modern technology like computers, telephones, email, things like that, uh, let's like let's let's just put ourselves back like say three or let's go let's go 500 years ago. All right, you have a community of Jewish people who or or non-Jews, and we live in an area where we want to listen to the Torah teachings. Let's say it's a Jewish community, and in order to get to the Torah teachings, um, there weren't too many books around. I mean, there were some, but you know, there, if you think about it, there weren't uh, a lot. There certainly weren't any computers or internet or, or telephones or things like that. And so, if we wanted to get the Torah commentaries from the rabbi. We had to go to shul to get it, and typically that meant just waiting until the end of the week on Shabbat when the rabbi would give his drasha. Um, and in giving his drasha then, his midrash, um, his sermon, his homily, we got the Torah and we got the commentary on the Torah. And then that week we would talk about uh, what he talked about in an anticipation of the next sermon coming up. So if you think about it, we're a little bit spoiled these days in that we want everything very early so that we can make the most use of it. Now, I've tried to put the commentaries out as early in the week as possible, and during the um, study on Leviticus, I decided to push him closer to the Shabbat, 
um, in an effort to, to uh, address some of the students who wish to have them closer towards the Sabbath. But what I'm going to do is I took a kind of a, a little survey. Some of you got this email, others of you didn't, so don't, don't worry if you didn't get it. I've decided that I'm going to go back to the format of publishing the, the um, audio portions earlier on in the week, like say Monday or Tuesday at the very latest. And in doing so, that will give the students the bulk of the week to study into the Torah portion, where some communities study out of the Torah portion. Um, and that's what I was kind of playing with the two different schedules there. What do I mean by study out of the Torah portion? What I mean is some communities will take the Torah portion notes from Shabbat, and then that following Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of sorts, they will study what was talked about on the previous Saturday. And then come Thursday, Friday, or, or I guess really Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they'll talk about what was um, what was studied or read on the Torah portion on the on the previous Saturday. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they'll start looking in anticipation towards the next cycle, the next Torah study. So they'll study the Torah portion after the fact, or after Shabbat. Whereas other communities will only study into the Sabbath, like we've predominantly been doing here on our studies, on our podcast. We'll take the information before it shows up on Shabbat and study it with anticipation of whatever the rabbi is going to talk about in the Sabbath, or, or in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so I'm going to go ahead and, based on popular, um, uh, popular vote... Uh, again, some of you got the email, some of you didn't, so don't worry if you didn't get it. Based on popular vote, I'm going to move the audio portions back closer to the beginning of the week. So I'll be publishing them starting with the book of Bamidbar next week. The book of Numbers, Parashat Bamidbar, will begin. You'll probably get that um, if you're if you're on the mailing list. You'll probably get it probably Monday or Tuesday at the very latest as well as the written notes will be mailed out. And then you'll get all of that and you'll be able to study on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday up into the Sabbath. And um, for those of you who have been receiving them all through Leviticus, maybe you just signed up and you've been getting them late, late meaning before the Sabbath, but maybe a day or two before, and that doesn't give you a lot of time to study, I want to say this at least. The audio notes have always been available on the website, graftedin.com, and usually in the upper right corner you'll find the, the, the current tour portion there, or you can just click on um, commentaries tab right off the homepage, click on the uh, uh, Torah portions tab after that, and all 54 portions in their written format, PDF document, are available on the web. At any time of the year or day or month or season, they're always available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, to, um, um, th- you know, 52 weeks out of the year. They're always available there. I don't pull them like some people do. I know some websites that pull their commentaries on Shabbat so that um, people can access them. We don't do that at graftedin.com. You can get my commentaries and you can read them ahead of time. I encourage you to read them ahead of time. As for the audio, um, those aren't available until I produce them. So, Having said that, um, I can't please everyone, but I'm going to, again, uh, go back to er- mailing them out earlier, and I believe that's going to please most of you who follow my commentaries. Okay, For those of you who um, followed along with me and, and, and uh, was receiving them later on in the week, I apologize for the inconvenience that may have caused you, and um, um, we'll just continue to press in, okay? Let's get on with it. Here we are, this week's Torah teaching, the last one in the set. And what I'm going to do, besides pulling a lot of quotes from um, rabbinic material, is I'm going to repeat some information that, that shows up in other commentaries. Somebody pointed out, Ariel, gosh, you repeat quite a bit from time to time. Why do you do that? Why don't you just write all new information? I do this for two reasons. Number one, one of the best forms of teaching is repetition. 
Every good teacher knows this. Uh, Rav Shaul, Apostle Paul, um, if you'll scan his letters, um, you're going to find that he repeats the same information over and over again. Perhaps not verbatim, the way I do sometimes, but nevertheless he repeats concepts and um, uh, lessons and challenges over and over again. Uh, because we need repetition, whether we're children or adults, repetition um, is a great way to learn. You hear the same things over and over again, and it's just going to stick inside your mind, you know what I mean? And the other reason I repeat is because in my line of work, I never know who is going to either subscribe to the entire Torah cycle and follow all the way for the entire year, or whether someone's going to just happen upon our website or one of my audio portions and pick and listen to something and then never subscribe and hear, hear, hear it again. And so what I do is I take some truths that are very important that I feel that should be with us always, and I interlace my commentaries with those specific concepts. And in doing so, it doesn't matter really where you pick up one of my commentaries, whether you pick it up at the beginning of the reading cycle, in the middle, or at the end, or if you read a commentary out of Genesis, and then you skip, and then six months go by, and then you pick up again, and you may read something out of Deuteronomy, or if you don't read the Torah portions, but you just study my... Um, commentaries to the uh, uh, to the festivals or one of the other uh, Shomer Mitzvot lessons, no matter what happens is you're going to find pertinent truths that I have placed there by design that show up here and there and everywhere, and they are repetitious by design. I put them there because, again, I don't know who if someone's going to pick up my commentaries and read them like a book from cover to cover or if they're just going to kind of pick and choose. And in doing so, they're going to find some of the similar things. So I've, I've done that on purpose. All right. Having said that, let's go forward. We are at uh, the bottom of page one, and this week's Torah teaching introduces, um, sorry about that, I hit the microphone, hits, uh, uh, introduces one of the central aspects of the covenant made through Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. And what is that central aspect to the covenant? This is a challenge to the church. One of the central features of the Mosaic covenant is obedience. That's right. The Torah clearly, not veiled, not in, in, in Kabbalistic fashion, not in esoteric fashion. Clearly, on the Peshat level, the Torah teaches uh, here in this parasha, uh, that blessing is predicated upon obedience to its chukim, its edicts. If you do, you will be blessed. And that's what the Torah teaches. Now the next question that we normally ask ourselves as Talmudim, as students, is what sort of blessing? Well, physical social and financial, to name a few, but not spiritual. What do I mean? Because <laughs> some of you are saying, no, wait a minute, Ariel. Isn't the Torah a spiritual document, and doesn't Shaul in fact say that the Torah is spiritual? Well, let's talk about it. All right, this next section is entitled, The Bad News, or First, The Bad News. All right, before I explain the good news of the Torah, or the blessings and uh, that are... Um, associated with Torah obedience, let's talk about the bad news, all right? The Lord's reproof to Am Yisrael found in chapter 26, verses 14 through 40, I'm sorry, yeah, verses 14 through 45 in our portion, has been labeled by Judaism as the Tochacha, all right? Now, the Tochacha, uh, the Tochacha is a reproof, and what we have is a minor listing of curses brought against the people for their disobedience as spelled out here in our document. The Torah, if you if you remember, is not just some clever maxims that have been handed down from people to people, from person to person. The Torah 
is the very expression of God's relationship with his people. And in that um, revelation, that expression of God's thoughts and God's words and God's uh, ideals and his, and, his, and his feelings on the matter, God also had Moshe write this document down or copy the words because the Torah is a legally binding agreement between God and his people. Okay? It's just like the legally binding documents that we enter into uh, uh, with each other. Um, marriage licenses, uh, partnerships, businesses. Um, in fact, even if you open up a credit card, then it's a legally binding agreement between you and the credit card company. Meaning, if you don't read the fine print and, and you misuse the card, then the company has the right to, uh, the credit card company in my little example here, has the right to... Um, exercise their part of the agreement based on the written wording of the document. Whether you read it or not, it's there. And so what we have here in the uh, Tohaha is a minor listing of curses, that is to say um, abs a a withholding of blessings, um, that the people would incur if they failed to keep their part of the agreement. And what was their part? It was stated way back in Exodus, chapter 19, what did they say? All that you have said we will do. So, the people have agreed to be obedient, and therefore when they are disobedient, God has every right to punish them. That's what I'm trying to go at. A similar yet major listing, the difference between the minor and the major is just the sheer amount of wording. The minor listing is here, and we find another major listing, um, also referred as Tohaha, that can be read in Parashat Kitavo in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we'll look at that once we get to that book and to that Parashat. Um, now, this word, um, tohaha, let's define it. According to one online Hebrew-English dictionary, the origin word, tohecha, uh, conveys a reprimand. And this is according to, look at the footnote to number two. This is a great online resource, by the way. But unfortunately, you have to be able to read Hebrew to uh, understand what it's trying to teach you. Uh, it's http colon slash slash milon.morphix.co.il. Um, and uh, I took my definition from the word tohecha uh, there, and uh, it's it's an online English Hebrew English Hebrew dictionary. When the page comes up, it's all in Hebrew, and in the upper right corner, there's a little um, text box. You type in an English word, um, and then you hit enter, and it will uh, bring up the he the Hebrew definition of the word. But the Hebrew definition will show up in just like that Hebrew. So you got to be able to read Hebrew to utilize it. So this word means reprimand. Now, the BDB, of which I'm fond of using in my commentaries here, the Brown Driver Bricks uh, lexicon, defines the word as, quote, rebuke, correction, reproof, punishment, and chastisement, end quote. That's from the BDB to the same word, tochecha. Uh, now, by its context, since the source is the Holy One Himself, okay, God is the one who is reprimanding, it conveys the, it conveys the purpose of divine retribution it's not just some it's not just a law of the universe um, rather it's a law it's God's divine retribution if you disobey God by legal right can send the curses to um, to come into your life if you repeatedly disobey him and repeatedly violate his covenant God has every right to uh, um, uh, carry out his part of the agreement by withholding blessing and or allowing the curses to, to, to come into your life. Now, don't be confused. It's not God's design that we should be cursed or um, we, that, that we as people should be the objects of his reproof and correction. But what happens is, as, as Pastor Norm, my good friend, is fond of saying, a curse without a cause cannot come. 
So God doesn't just arbitrarily send the curses because he's having a bad hair day. That's, that's, that's a quote from Pastor Norm. Uh, Norm, rather what Norm would teach us, and very well teaching, very sound by the way, is that we, God's people, we stray from the path. We, we, we find ourselves in error. We run headlong into idolatry, into, um, in, in, into uh, disobedience, and in doing so, God then is permitted to allow the curse to come into our life or the withholding of blessing, the diminishment of blessing to be enacted because we have released the curse, as it were. Norm would even go on record as saying, God doesn't curse us, we do it to ourselves. Um, that's the divine paradox of the blessings and the curses. That's in fact true. God doesn't curse us so much as God governs the curse. Norm calls God the governator. Uh, we step into disobedience and therefore God releases, as it were, the curses into our life. And therefore, we are the ones that bring the curses. We cannot blame God for cursing us. We are the responsible party. All right. Interesting by comparison, the Hebrew of this current chapter, this current parak, is written in the plural, addressing collective Israel. Okay? Its counterpart in Devarim 28, the the Let's try that again. I, I got to tell you, it doesn't matter even if you're a Hebrew speaker. Sometimes words can trip, can uh, be tongue twisting. Okay, the large tochacha, the uh, tochacha gadol, um, versus this small one here, which is the uh, the uh, tochacha katan. Um, the large one, the larger list in De Deuteronomy 28, is written in the singular. Now, the Gaon of Vilna explains that the difference conveyed by the listing in Devarim is that the Holy One, blessed be He, is addressing uh, addressing collective Israel, that is, each and every Jew that was present then, and each and every Jew that will be born in the future. And indeed, a quote from the JPS version of Parashat Nitzavim in Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verse 13 and 14, which is verse 14 and 15 in their English Bibles, gives the Ga'un this impression. So let's do this real quick. Before I go into the blessings and the curses, let me just explain why we see that these blessings are given, blessings and cursings are given to um, people back then and people today. It's important that we take this step and explain it because oftentimes as is in the case in 21st century Torah study, we disconnect ourselves from the text. We look at the text, we read it, and we say, well, gosh, that was for the people then, but today, you know, we're in different circumstances. We serve a God who has changed somehow, ostensibly, and God would never curse us today. Or so we think. But we're fooling ourselves if we think that God has changed, because the text surely says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he doesn't change. What is more, the text gives us, and we're going to read this here in a moment, the... Um, the uh, uh, information necessary to understand that the text is speaking to people then and to people who are yet to come. And, and Israel, or Israel today as well as then, is fond of understanding this or, and, and or um, teaching this. The text is given to people, but it's also given to future generations who would come after the people. And so it's unfortunate that in the Western Christianity that's been handed down to us, uh, the church traditions that, we've been, that have been passed on, that we as the church, and I'm speaking now as if I'm part of the church, um, because if I believe in Yeshua, then in, in, a, in one sense I am part of the church. Um, we, the church, we've inherited this tradition that teaches that the text no longer applies to us. To be sure, replacement theology, um, the theologians, the, 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 the teachers, um, 
try to convey the sense that the Torah no longer belongs to us because we are not Israel. We have replaced Israel, and therefore, when we read verses like the ones we're reading here in Leviticus 26, or the one that I'm going to read in Deuteronomy 29, we don't see ourselves in the text. And you know what? That is unfortunate, because no matter how we slice it and dice it, God only has made a covenant with one people. He only has one people, and that people is Israel. And the church is remnant Israel. They are part of Israel. They get grafted into the tree of Israel. Read Romans chapter 11. And in this engrafting, we must find our identity as part of Israel. For more on this information, read my commentary to Grafted In, which is available on our website at graftedin.com. Um, look for the commentary entitled Grafted In. So we need to understand that when this Torah speaks to Israel, if you've named the name of Hashem through Yeshua, then you are Israel. And the future generations that it's referring to in the text are you. They're me. I'm those future generations. So with that introduction, let's turn now to um, Devarim 29, verse 13 and 14. Uh, verse 13 says in the English, But it is not with you alone that I am making this covenant and this dread oath. Okay? The Hebrew says, now, this verse where it says, It is not with you alone that I am making this covenant, it sets up the scenario. Moshe, of course, is speaking, but he's speaking God's words. And so Moshe tells the people then, I'm not just making this covenant with you alone. So we, and the people, of course, listening back then would have to ask themselves, Well, gosh, who else are you speaking to? Of course, we today, the students, can also ask the same uh, She'ela. Who is Moshe speaking to? Well, the next pasuk gives us the answer. Verse 14 of chapter 29 of Deuteronomy reads in English, I'm making it both with those who are standing here with us today before God our Lord and with those who are not yet here with us today. End quote. Uh, the Hebrew says, Ki et asher yesh no po imanu omed hayom. Now, the answer that's given to us um, is applicable both then and today. The people then heard this answer. You know, they heard Moshe say, um, I'm making it both of those who are standing with us today before the Lord our God. And they thought to themselves, the people back then thought, this is us. We are the ones standing here. Day. But then they looked at the rest of the verse, alright? And with those who are not yet here with us today. Well, who are the people who are not yet here with us? Obviously, it must be the people who are to come afterwards. In essence, the successive generations of the people who are standing there. Well, then all we have to do is connect the dots. Who are the successive generations? Well, that's you and I. That's us, the people listening today. Now Rashi explains the phrase "velo itchem levadchem," found in um, the very first verse, the, uh, verse thirteen, "velo itchem levadchem," includes even dorot haasidim lichyot. Now dorot haasidim lichyot are generations that are destined to yet come into existence. The very concept I'm explaining to you right now, indeed. Um, if we continue with the rabbinic logic here, the Gemara, which of course is the commentary of the Mishnah, the Gemara explains that the principle of communal responsibility, Kol Yisrael Arivim Zebozeh, and um, that's that's the phrase. Um, all of Israel is responsible for one another. In essence, uh, it's rooted in Parashat Nitzavim. Um, the reason why we say that all of Israel. Um, is is here and and 
come or is here and there um, is is this and that zebozé uh, is is this and that or here and there um, here referring to the communities that are standing in front of us but there referring to the communities that are not in front of us okay um, the the phrase gives us this responsibility let me let me couch it this way I am Ariel and I'm sitting in my living room in Lakewood uh, Colorado all right. Uh, uh, I gave you a little bit about where I live now, so don't come storming my doors without calling me in advance or writing to me. Um, it's not an invitation to come visit me unexpected. Uh, although I would like uh, uh, people to come visit, that's fine. That's not what I mean. Um, but if you were to if you were to ask me, okay, Ariel, is that are you alone all that you are? Where's the rest of your family? And then I would answer, well, okay. Part of my family is here, and part of my family is there. I've got family in New York. I've got family in uh, California. I've got family in Arizona. I've got family all over the country. Uh, I think I probably have family all over the world, but I'm not sure of those the, the, those people. You, what I'm trying to say is I've got family here, and I've got family there. So I'm responsible for the family here, and I'm responsible for the family there. I'm responsible to pray for them and to support them and to, to, to reach out and, and commune with them. Okay, That's what the phrase, Kol Yisrael Ararevim Zebozeh, is trying to talk about. And according to the Gemara, it's rooted in Parashat Nitzavim. The footnote to number four you'll see is taken from Sanhedrin, uh, the tractate Sanhedrin of the Talmud, uh, uh, Daf 43b, as well as we have another um, a quote showing up in Masachat Sota, Daf 36b. So um, the collective nature of the Tochacha in particular and Knesset Yisrael, the Assembly of Israel in general, includes any future members of B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel, as well. Um, so so um, Rashi uh, and the Gemara are wise in allowing the Jewish people to understand that don't just look out for yourself. Think about either the community here and the community there, you know, Zeboze, as well as the community who's to come after you. Your actions are going to affect not just you and not just the people on the other side of the uh, railroad tracks who are also you, but they're going to affect your, your, your actions are going to have um, uh, repercussions down through the generations and that is the important thing to remember as we step into disobedience it's a powerful lesson if you think about it those of you who are parents listening to my commentaries you have children coming up after you think about this the things that you do are going to affect every family member especially if you're if your husbands and your wives and you're walking in disobedience and you've got children coming up after you you don't think God is going to allow the effects to be felt within your own family within your own offspring you can bet he will he, he says so that he will that the, uh, the the effects of your disobedience will be felt in the lives of your children and that's just that's just common sense it's just what we say in Hebrew is sabara it's common sense however um, what Israel uh, did not uh, fully um, contemplate when they stepped into disobedience is that God would visit the sins uh, down to the third and fourth generation of those that continue to disobey and hate him. So we have passages like here, the Tochacha, to remind us of our covenant responsibilities, not just with everyone in the community that we interact with today, but because of the covenant responsibilities and the repercussions that it's going to have on the community that is to follow after us. Okay, And so thus we... Um, uh, also introduce another concept that the Gemara gives to us. It's called um, arvus, okay, and it means joint responsibility. And for Jewish people, it means joint responsibility of one Jew for another's performance of the mitzvot. Meaning, if I, Ariel, see my brother, my fellow Yid, my fellow Jew, 
disobeying the covenant, I shouldn't just turn my head and say, oh, well, you know, at least I'm not disobeying. I should seek to assist my brother and say, hey, brother, brother Jew, or brother Gentile, in this case, it doesn't matter, but I'm just using the example of, of Jew to Jew because of the, uh, the, the way the Talmud uses the word aravus. But if I see my fellow Jewish person stepping into disobedience, then it's my responsibility, based on the principle of aravus, to step into my brother's life and help him out. Perhaps he doesn't know he's disobeying. Perhaps he's trying to obey and he's having a struggle. He's having a hard time. Aravus helps us to understand that my responsibility of keeping the commandments extends to my brother's responsibility of keeping the commandments. And from the Tochacha, which emphasizes um, the collective unit of Bnei Israel, I can see why this should be a good case. Because you know what? If the entire community turns sour when the, ba when the batch, batch of apples goes bad, that's when it gets tossed. And so if we're not looking out for one another as believers, and now I can carry this midrash into those who are non-Jews as well, if, but are still yet part of my community. If I'm not looking up for the well-being of my brother as well, then, then when the community goes sour, I'm at fault and my brother's at fault, and I cannot blame anyone except myself. Because I need to be looking out for myself, and I need to be looking out for the well-being of my, the brother in my community. It's a very, very strong principle that we should not have lost in our, in our Western mentality of, of rugged individualism. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm an island unto myself, we, we say to ourselves. You know, i got to look out for number one. And that's, that's wrong, is what I'm trying to say. Okay? In this sense, Rav um, Yeruhum Perlo explains the viewing of the Bahag, the view of the Bahag, I'm sorry, who counts the Tochacha and counts its blessings and curses among the 613 mitzvot. You know, the, the 613 is the number of the commandments that are supposedly uh, outlined for us between the pages of Breshit and Devarim, uh, according to the, uh, the, the Rambam's enumeration, Maimonides. By the way, we do carry a list of the 613 positives and negatives on our website at graftedin.com. Again, click on the commentaries link. And then look at um, more commentaries. Uh, click on that second link, the more commentaries. And I think it's the very first one on the list, 613 mitzvot. Um, anyway, the Rav suggests that the Bahag was not referring to the ceremony and the ritual of the Tochacha, but rather to the mitzvah of Arvus that I just explained above, which is in fact rooted in the Tochacha itself. And that quote, or that information, if you look at footnote number 5 at the bottom of page 3, was taken from the Sefer HaMitzvot L'Rasag, chapter 57. Okay, and at this point, I'm going to go ahead and call this portion A. It's around 30 minutes or so into the commentary. We'll stop here, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about this notion or this challenge of that the Torah doesn't present us with spiritual blessings. And we'll be at the top of page 3 um, with the... Uh, um, uh, the paragraph entitled, Not Spiritual, with a question mark, okay? So stay tuned.